can I move this? Well, let's see. I think I've been with CBU through five or six different hair colors, haven't I, Jim? <laughs> Uh, Jim, Jim is a wise man. He's going to leave my hair alone. But uh, I, I've been with CBU a long, long time. And, you know, we're talking about global outreach. But the ministry of CBU is still alive and well in the United States because part of my ministry uh, is directly related to my years with CBU. I was this fall in four different churches, and I met the people within that church through the ministry of CBU. So I am the fruit of CBU. You are the fruit of CBU. And even though it doesn't uh, appear in a conference setting anymore, there's a lot of fruit from CBU. So I think we ought to stand and give a God bless, God thank you for CBU, the Jackson family, uh, the efforts of the board. Uh, we celebrate, we celebrate what has been and we look forward to what is going to be. The glory of the latter house is, is uh, going to far exceed the former house. So Lord, we thank you now that, that there is the, the moving of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit, you do move. And so we ask you now to come into this room in a particular way, to come into this room not just as a presence, but to be the voice. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that even though it sounds like my voice, it shall be your voice. I thank you that you can go beyond what I've studied, what I've thought about, what I've prayed about, and you can even speak prophetically through me of things I haven't even known or studied. So, Holy Spirit, we're just looking to you to be the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the guide, the leader, and we fall in step behind you. And we want you to do what only you can do tonight. So we listen and we obey. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to read our text scripture again. I want it to be very familiar to us. And I'm going to begin where we have left off. Joshua 3, verses 1 through 5. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they, the Israelites, set out from the Acacia Grove, and they came to Jordan, the river Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant representing the uh, presence of God among them, the residence of God among them, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and you shall go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it 
about 2,000 cubics, depending on how you measure a cubic, somewhere around 18 inches to 24 inches is a cubic. It'll be 2,000 cubics by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. I, I want us to center in on that last phrase. You have not passed this way before. Now life presents us with, with a lot of different opportunities and moments to go in ways that we have never gone before. This is the very essence of life, to go in ways that we have never gone before. None of us are, are going to go very far in life if we don't learn to go where we have never gone before. So when I was six years old, I went where I had never gone before. I left my family home where I had spent the first six years of my life and I entered public education as, as a six-year-old. I had never been to school. I, I went to a building that was unfamiliar, uh, into a classroom with children I, I was not acquainted with. Uh, a woman stood before me and said she was my teacher. I had never gone that way before. It was a very pivotal moment in my life when I entered first grade. And then 18 years later, I was graduated from the public education system, and I went another way I had never gone before. I left my parents' home, and I enrolled in college, the University of Alabama. And I had never gone that way before. It was the first time I was away from home, the first time I had ever lived independent of my parents' uh, watching eyes. Uh, it was the first time I had ever been in a situation outside of the hometown where I had grown up. Uh, I went away. I had never gone before. And while I was at the University of Alabama, I met a man named Gene Evans. And my goodness, I married him, and marriage took me away. I have never gone before. Uh, trying to live with a man uh, was just an experience of going where I had never gone before. Uh, he just wouldn't do what I wanted him to do, and uh, uh, I didn't behave the way I behaved in courtship. And uh, there were days I wanted to, you know, walk up behind him and anoint him with a cast iron skillet, but I was a Christian woman, and that didn't uh, quite fit within my theology of being a good, submissive wife. So marriage took me in a way I had never gone before. And then after we were married, I gave birth to two sons, and my goodness, mothering took me even further than I ever wanted to go. I really wanted to be a mother until I had children. And after I had children, I thought this was not what I had in mind at all. I, it doesn't look like any of the magazine stories or the movies I, I had seen uh, about children. And now I, I come to uh, what I like to call my latter years. 
Uh, the world may call me a senior citizen. Uh, some people may just look at me and say she's an old woman. Uh, nevertheless, I have lived a, a very long time. And even though I am in my latter elder years, I still find myself going in ways I have never gone before because that is the essence uh, of life. Uh, it, it's the very nature uh, of life. Uh, in case you wonder about that, uh, you older people will appreciate this. As you, as you age, your body goes places it has never gone before. How many older people would honestly admit that, that my body has gone places it never has gone before? What used to be so high and lifted up is not high and lifted up. It's going to a place it has never gone before. We senior saints don't hear words like cute and perky. You know, they don't say that about us at, at all. My grandchildren often ask what this is and how, how you get things like that. Uh, Paul reminded me that I, I did a message here and uh, talked about my products that I bought as a younger woman. And the products I bought as a younger woman had very sensuous names, romance, taboo, obsession. And now my products have names like age-defying, <laughs> wrinkle remover, <laughs> intensive care, age spot eradicator, you know, just all kinds of names like this because I'm just going away. I've never gone before. Jean and I were in bed one night. We have a, a big king-size bed, and we're both edge sleepers. We both like the edges of the bed. So when we're in bed, there's this middle guff that's between us. And it was late. We had gotten into bed, and I was cuddled down about to drift off. And from Jean's side of the bed, I heard him say, I forgot to kiss you goodnight. And I said, well, you did. You forgot to kiss me goodnight. Long pause. And then Jean said, well, why don't you roll over here and I'll kiss you. <laughs> I said, well, I'm exhausted. I don't want to roll over there for you to kiss me. I said, you roll over here and I'll kiss you. And he said, well, I'm in my warm, sweet spot and I don't want to leave it. And I said, well, I'm too tired. So we both just turned in the dark, looking at each other, and three kisses across the bed. And then I heard his voice in the dark say, did that do it for you? And I said, yes. <laughs> now, I don't want you younger people to get upset about this, but you older people understand that. Sometimes it's just too much effort to meet in the middle of the bed. It's not like Hollywood has portrayed it. And we go places where we, we didn't go previously. So, I mean, all of you can agree with me. You've, you've done life and you've gone places where you've never gone before. That, that's familiar to every one of us. That's not an odd thing, an abnormal thing. Everybody in the room has made a journey of going places where you have never gone before. Now the world 
is going in a way it's never gone before. And we uh, would just, you know, be very foolish. We would be very unwise to sit in this room and even attempt to talk about the things of God without acknowledging that there is something going on around us and we're going away that we've never gone before. Uh, the world I live in as an older woman is not at all the world of my childhood. My childhood was 1940s. My teenage years were the 50s. I was a young married woman in the 60s. And in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, I could not even have dared imagine that, that the world would have gone in, into the areas that we have gone. I, I could not have imagined that transgender would have even been an issue. Uh, in our culture of the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, there was no such word as transgender. Uh, in my youth, gay meant very happy. And it, it has just been, you know, kind of stolen from our vocabulary to describe an alternate lifestyle. And we have all of these issues of same-sex marriage, homosexuality, gay, lesbian rights, uh, transgender. In the Atlanta paper, on the editorial page, there was an editorial not long ago uh, written by a woman. It was about a, a mother in another part of our country whose five-year-old son had decided to transgender into a girl. And this mother was allowing him to do that. And one day she took her son to kindergarten dressed in a tutu, a pink tutu, with nail polish and things that girls would wear. The kindergarten students made fun of him, upset the mother, and she went to the school, the kindergarten teacher, protesting. And they agreed that they would teach the five-year-olds in the kindergarten class about the transgender issue and how they could transgender. So the kindergarten teacher began to read the books to the little five-year-olds about transgender issues. And then the school system said to the mother of the little boy who was transgendering that perhaps uh, she would like to take him to a psychiatrist. And she did, and the psychiatrist said, he has a mental disorder, and we can treat it, and we can cure him, and uh, he can be the boy he is. And the mother declared that the psychiatrist was crazy, and the child would be allowed to become uh, a little girl. And we as the church are living in that kind of world. And we cannot just ignore that. We cannot just uh, come in here and sing our praise songs. I often ask myself, uh, what kind of message am I going to to give to a man who believe, genuinely believes he's a woman. Uh, what, what am I going to say to that? Uh, what am I going to 
uh, say to the mother of the little five-year-old? What kind of message will I preach to her? How, how am I going to address that as a Christian believer and particularly uh, as a woman to whom God has given a pulpit? We're going in a way we have never gone before in the world system. Politics has gone away. It has never gone before. Government has gone away. It, it has never gone before. We're in a war now that is like no other war we have ever fought. Because in the past wars that our country ha has been engaged in, the enemy has been easily identified. The uh, Nazis were identified by a nation, by a uniform, by a language, by a culture. And now we are fighting an enemy that has no nation, an enemy that really has no face that, that is recognized, who is engaged in a religious war. It's not a war about world domination. The very name of what they do is called jihad, which is holy war. And the jihadists believe that God has called them to eradicate infidels and to bring infidels into submission. That is the war that is being fought. Not at all political. Very, very much religious. Very much spirit against spirit. And kingdom against kingdom in a very spiritual way. So we're here tonight, and we have to look at the culture. We have to look at the world. We have to look at the people who are living in that kind of culture and that kind of world. And now we are in this global situation. When I was a child, we hardly knew where Afghanistan was. Uh, we never gave any fought to little nations in the Middle East. And now we are connected globally because of technology. I was watching uh, Geraldo Rivera do a program one night. He had this huge, long table. And it was just piled high with things like cameras, uh, old plastic uh, records that we used to play in the 40s record players, uh, the cassettes we used to play, newspapers, magazines, flashlights. He, he just had this table just piled high with things. And everything that was on the table could now be done with a cell phone. Everything. You could read the paper. You had a flashlight. You had a clock. Uh, and my husband attended. Uh, a business conference. It was not spiritual. It was a leadership business conference. And uh, they were teaching about the progression of technology. And uh, my husband was taught that within a few years, email will be obsolete, and things that we consider essential now will be done by our cell phones, like opening our, our car doors, our the doors to our home, it's all moving to a cell phone. And this connects us globally. 
I'm on Facebook and I'm connected to people globally. Uh, people, some of them I haven't even met face to face. Going in a way we have never gone before. So when we come to this theme of crossing Jordan, and we make it very practical to, to us who are gathered here in this room, then we have to understand uh, when we say we're at this Jordan and we're going to cross over, that we're going to have to go a way that we have never gone before. That, that God is going to require us to do this. Because this uh, spiritual place in the Bible is identified as a way that nobody ha had ever walked. And we know from the very nature of life that we are required to do this. Our parents did not let us remain in the house as little children. We were forced to go to school. We elected to go to college, married of our own free will. We had all of these ventures into places we had never gone before. And now as church people, God's people, we understand that God intends us to do the same thing in, in a very spiritual way. That as there is an escalation of gross darkness, uh, that is not a bad sign, that is a prophetic sign that we, the church, must go places that, that we have never gone before. Now the scripture I read to you said that early one morning, Joshua and the Israelites came to the Jordan. Early one morning, they came to Jordan. Now, this, this group of people had been wandering in a wilderness for 40 years. And, you know, I haven't ever really tracked their re records of their wanderings on a map. I do know that they tended to circle and I, I know that based on the way the scripture reads, they had never come to this place. In all of those 40 years of wandering, they had never come to this place. I don't know how close they got to it. I don't know if they saw the Jordan. But I do know when the Bible says early one morning, they came to Jordan, it was not talking about a geographical location. It was talking about a very prophetic moment in time. It was speaking about a divine appointment that it was God himself that had led them to this place. And they had never been at this prophetic place before for 40 years. God had allowed them to wonder. For 40 years, God had fed them. God had taken care of them. When they sinned, God would get them out of their uh, transgressions. And early one morning, they came to this significant pro prophetic place. And in that prophetic place, it was this, this ending of a season. Because God is moving in this straight line from beginning to end. 
And God has a destination. God is not some kind of just random spirit who blesses people. God wants to take us somewhere. He has a destination. And in this timeline that you and I are living in, we have appeared in this little space of time. And God has given us appointed days. And, and we're right here in what we call by the calendar the year 2015. But God has been moving from beginning. He's moving to the end. And in that timeline, God moves in seasons. And in those seasons, God has prophetic purposes. And, and these Israelites had come to this place and this old season was ending. This time of just wandering in circles in the wilderness was over. Uh, they were going to have a new agenda. They were going to go where they had never gone before and the, everything they did was going to change. Wandering was over and now it was about possessing the land. It, it was about an, an entirely new agenda. And we have already been told in those who preceded me, manna ceased, the cloud that led them for 40 years disappeared, uh, the fire that would come at night was no longer seen. Uh, uh, everything was different and they were going to be required to go away they had never gone. This is why the Bible said, uh, you, you got to wait for the Ark of the Covenant because you do not know the route. You do not know uh, where you need to go. They, they were just absolutely dependent uh, upon God. And the real issue here well, it was not about what they wanted or what their experiences with God had been. The real issue here was not even to repeat what had been because God is not a repeater of what used to be. When Eden was completely torn up by sin, God did not go back and redo Eden. He redeemed Eden. God has never repeated the day of Pentecost because God is moving on, on this straight line. And God had brought them to this place because for the purposes of God to move forward, these people had to go into that land and possess it because what was future to them depended on that land. The Messiah that was going to be born had to be born in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was in the hands of somebody besides Israelite. Jerusalem was in the hands of somebody besides the Israelites. Nazareth is in the hands of somebody besides Israelite. These, these Israelites had no idea why they needed to possess the land other than they just saw it as real estate where they would live that they would give up the tent, they would build their homes and their farms. They had no idea of this far-reaching purpose of God because we tend to see through the glass darkly. So this, this crossing of Jordan 
what was a very prophetic moment. Now, all of us in this room understand things aren't like they used to be. I, I don't have to belabor this point. Uh, you understand that exactly. People are not like they used to be. Uh, the world is not like it used to be. We've gone in a way we have never gone before. And we, as God's people, have to understand that we are at our own Jordan. We have arrived at, at this prophetic moment, this place of divine appointment, when darkness is gross and God needs a people to arise. And I, I do not even profess to prophesy what is ahead. I will prophesy this. We, as God's people, are clueless. We are clueless. Uh, you know, people get on the Facebook and the media and are always prophesying. You know, back in my day, 88 reasons why Jesus come in 88. The world was going to collapse at Y2K. You remember that? And we just passed through something that was supposed to collapse in September and we needed to be stored up. All I can say is it just proves we're clueless. We are clueless people. And, and God understands we're clueless. Uh, we really don't know where we're going. And I think it's wisdom to acknowledge that. I, I really don't know where we're going. And the requirement upon our lives is to be willing to follow God and to go where we've never gone before. Now, I, I look around, and probably a lot of you have my same testimony. Uh, 46 years ago, uh, I was part of a move of God, and I went where I'd never gone before. I was brought up in a Methodist church uh, by Methodist mama, Methodist grandparents, Methodist friends, and in my opinion, God himself was a Methodist. He didn't admit it, but he liked us Methodists better than the Baptists and the Lutherans and Catholics. And I just had this nice, neat religion, sweet Methodist husband raising little Methodist kids. And in 1969, God took my husband in a way he had never gone before, baptized him with the Holy Spirit. And it infuriated me that my sweet husband had been, you know, kind of taken into a cult of snake-handling tongue talkers. That's what I thought they were, <laughs> snake-handling tongue talkers. I was just shocked that, you know, my husband, would have just gone into something so weird and crazy. And so to prove that he was absolutely in error and absolutely out of the will of God, I read the Bible in a little book called They Speak With Other Tongues. And after four days, I myself was baptized <laughs> with the Holy Spirit. I went away. I had never gone before. Spoke in tongues. Can you imagine that? An educated woman with two kids, and my husband at that time was a CPA, uh, going away. I, I've never gone before. 
And after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know, Jane and I were in, in the Methodist church, and I love the Methodist church. I was born again there. And so one night, Gene came home, and Gene was very hungry for God, and he would look through the newspapers, and if anything said Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, he would go to it. And so he was looking through the newspapers, and he had attended a revival service, and he came home and said, you absolutely have got to go with me tomorrow night. He said, I've never heard anybody preach like this man preaches. So tomorrow night arrives. I'm about to go a way I've never gone before and I walked into a Pentecostal church and it was in the wrong part of town it, it was in a seedy section rundown building gravel parking lot no lights in the parking lot walked in and nobody looked like us the women didn't wear makeup had on no jewelry Big hair, women had big hair that hadn't been cut in years. Uh, no men were in, you know, dressed like my husband. He was the businessman. And we walked down the center aisle and sat on the front row because Jean likes the front row. I'm on the end right here of the pew. My two children, four and eight years old, are between us. Jean's on the other side. I said to Jean, we forgot to get a bulletin when we came into the church. You know, the bulletin is what we Methodists had that told us what God was going to do in one hour. You know, you, I mean, you know, call to worship. We knew what songs God was going to sing, what he was going to say. And when the pastor had his three points and he was saying his point, we were zipping up to go to lunch. That was our signal. And I'd been raised this way. And Gene said, I don't think they do bulletins here. And I said, well, how will we know when church starts? He said, you'll know. <laughs> so I'm about to go to church like I've never gone to church before. So all of a sudden at 7 o'clock, this tall, imposing woman that was sitting across the aisle from me got up, walked over to a Hammond organ and hit a chord that woke the dead in the cemetery. I mean, I've never heard such a loud organ chord in all of my life. And she started playing. It had three keyboards. She played with one hand, waved with the other hand, and her feet hit those pedals like she was tap dancing. And I have never seen a Methodist organist play like this woman was playing, just all over the keyboard, waving tap dancing and I'm just you know sitting there my ears are ringing from the noise and all, all of a sudden I hear commotion in the aisle and I do the little glance that mom told me was allowed in church you couldn't stare but you could do the Methodist glance you know to see who's back there and I did that and I thought dear God there are women in the aisle who are going to dance they are going to dance. They did not ballet dance. They, they stomped on the floor like this, jerked their heads violently with bobby pins, just flying. They were speaking in tongues and spitting. Chee-chee-chee spit just flying out of their mouth. They came down the aisle, got right in front of me, and danced and spit. 
all over me. And so I went in my watch and pray mode. You close one eye and pray and watch with the other. <laughs> I'm like, dear God, dear God, dear God. And, and then this guy over here uh, stood up. I'm telling you a true story. This is absolutely the truth. I am not embellishing. Screamed out in tongues at the top of his lungs, started running through that, that building with his eyes closed, his hands raised, speaking in tongues at the top of his voice, ran around the back, up into the choir loft, came over the thing that divided the choir loft from the podium, jumped over the altar, landed in front of the ten dancing women, did not hit one of them. And my little sons, four and eight-year-old, standing up in the pew going, wow, look at him go, wow. Mama, we like it here. Mama, we like it here. And Mama's just watching, and Mama's just praying. And, and so finally it settled down. The pastor came up to preach. Uh, we had no air conditioning. It was, I think, in the month of August. He took his coat off. He took his tie off. And he read one verse, left the podium area, came down there where we were, and preached for two and one-half hours. And I'm telling you, uh, he walked up the aisles. He walked from wall to wall, wiping sweat off of his face because it was hot. I never heard a point. He just preached. And every time he said something he liked, he often said things he liked. His right leg would jerk violently. And when he really liked it, it would start going like this, like a dog when you scratch his stomach, you know. And then he would start waving that white handkerchief, and that leg would be doing this. The organist would hit a chord. The women would come down here and spit on me while they spoke in tongues, and the guy would run through the sanctuary for two and one-half hours. <laughs> I didn't think it was glory. So when it was over with, I said to my husband, don't you ever take me to a church like that again. And to make a very long story short, in a couple of weeks, we were members of that church. Because God's got to take me away. I've never gone before. Now, I, I joined that church. In my opinion, I knew more than they did. Uh, I, I really did not like the people there. I, I had to agree with my husband that we were there by divine will because he had told me, God told him we were to be members of that church and for me to pray about it, and I did. And God told me that we were to be members there. Uh, that pastor became our pastor in 1969. He's still our pastor. Uh, that is the church that sent us into ministry. So I've had the same pastor for 46 years because God placed us under him. And God had to take me in a way I had never gone before because God could not allow me to remain where I was. And, and the reason 
well, it was not about me. It was about the prophetic purpose of God over my life. It was that God had a prophetic purpose over my life. And in order for that prophetic purpose to come out of my life, I had to go where I had never gone before. And I had never gone to this kind of church. So now I'm a member of this church, very embarrassed to be there. When I would meet my Methodist friends, I was absolutely embarrassed to tell them where I went to church. It was called Bethel Revival Tabernacle. Our, our praise leader had a song we sung. Where is the best Sunday school in town? Where is the best Sunday school around? Where is the best Sunday school in town? Revival Tabernacle. Nickel, that's what he would call it, nickel. <laughs> and that's the way the praise would begin every Sunday with him doing his finger, talking about the best Sunday school was Revival Tabernacle. And I'd say to Gene, he can't even pronounce the name of the church. Why doesn't somebody tell him it's not Tabernacle? And I'm there. And then my Methodist friends wanted to know where I went to church. And I was embarrassed to tell them. Tabernacle. I thought, I am not going to tell them I'm in a tabernacle. So I, I said, well, we are going to tabernacle. <laughs> you know, I'd cough, act like I had laryngitis. and You know how God is. God won't let you get away with anything. So my friends, Methodist friends, started coming to church on Sunday night. And oh, I'd pray. I'd say, oh, God, let it be dead tonight. Oh, God, don't let the organist come. Give her a small headache and keep her home. Oh, God, don't let those women dance. Don't let Bobby Gerolite run. And God, whatever you do, don't give Brother Arnold a message he enjoys. Let it be dead. And you know how it is. It just blow up. And my friends would sit there like they had stomachache, you know, frowning. And I, I was totally... Humiliated. One night, Brother Arnold said, I don't know why I'm doing this. Never done it before. He said, the Lord said I'm to anoint everybody's car keys with oil. And my Methodist friend said, he's going to do what with what? I said, he is going to pour Wesson oil on your car keys. That's what he's going to do. And she said, why is he doing this? I said, one day you'll be very glad that you had Wesson oil poured all over your car keys. Just shut up and get in line and let him pour Wesson all on your car keys. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Going away. I've never gone before. And then I had been there a while, and, and God spoke to me. One Sunday night, I'm sitting there acting like I'm spiritual, but I'm being critical, saying, oh, God, let them hurry up and get over this praise. Sit these women down that are dancing in front of me. You know, just critical. And the Lord began to talk to me, and he said, for all your talk about loving me, he said, would you ever run through a sanctuary with your eyes closed, praising me in tongues? And I was very honest. I said, no, I'll never do that. Because I wouldn't. <laughs> I was very honest. And the Lord said, remember when you were in college how you loved to dance? He said, if I wanted you to dance for me, would you join those women dancing? And I said, no, I'll never do that. 
And then the Lord pointed me to my pastor and he said, through the years you had pastors that stood in front of you that were bored by their own messages. And I knew that to be true. You were bored and they were bored. And he said, now I've given you a man of God. If nobody else enjoys his message, he enjoys his own messages. And the more God talked to me, I understood that I had been taken this way because I was in a lot of bondage, a lot of religious bondage. And I, I, every time God would say, would you, and I'd say no, I'd see a chain go around me. And when God got through with me, I saw myself completely chained, just like this. Not at all free. Not at all able to fulfill any kind of prophetic calling on my life. And I looked up to the ceiling, and it was like light came and formed into one shaft. It looked like a sword, and it passed down the front of me. And when it did, every chain that was on me fell off of me. And when I came to myself, I had a white Kleenex, and I was in the middle of the dancing women, <laughs> praising God with my whole heart. So sometimes we need to understand God takes us ways uh, because he wants to use us. And God puts us in places where it runs just contrary to everything we want or think or desire. And the reason we have to go there is so that we can fulfill the destiny that God has upon us as his people. God does not want us to be religious. God wants us to be prophetic. God wants us to be an answer uh, to uh, a generation. So we find ourselves, I, I know this emphatically, we are, uh, the charismatic renewal began in 1967. That was when God took me away. I had never gone before. I was a stay-at-home mom at age 30 when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. My goal in life was to go to college, and I had a BA degree. I was going to work on my doctor's degree, and I was going to be a college professor. And I had no concept in 1969 uh, of being a woman preacher. I had never seen women preachers. I, I, I want you to understand, I never envisioned myself here. Uh, that, that wasn't even on my uh, uh, radar of things that I wanted to do. I had never prayed and asked God to give me a ministry. Uh, I am where I am today because I crossed the Jordan. And God took me into prophetic purpose. That's what crossing Jordan means. You're leaving an old season and prophetically being positioned for something new. And it requires us to go a way that we've never gone before. So here we are in 215. In two more years, we'll be 50 years beyond the charismatic renewal, and we're at another season. We're, we are at, at another season. World War 
one ended in 1917, and there was a declaration that Israel could inhabit their land. Very prophetic thing. Israel became a nation in 48. The charismatic renewal was in 67, period of 50 years. And now we are two years away from another 50 years. So we're at the end of a season. And I'm part of what has been. But that does not mean I have to stay back here as part of what has been. Uh, as long as we've got breath and a heart and feet and a mind, we are the Joshua's who lead the younger generation into the new thing that God is, is doing, a new season. In my own personal life, I know I cannot do business with God the way I have always done business with God. I, I cannot remain where I am. God is requiring me to go where I've never gone before, to, to begin to think like I've never thought before. So here we are at this Jordan. This is what we've been talking about all weekend, going where we've never gone before. And this is what God says to us as his people who are living in 2.15. God, God said in Joshua 3.5, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It, it did not say uh, that everything is up to us. It said we need to kind of get a grip here. Uh, we need to kind of shake our head and acknowledge that God is about to do something. God is going to do something. Wonders implies it's beyond our ability to do it. And then in Joshua 6, 2, uh, the Lord appeared in a very uh, prophetic vision appearance to Joshua in Joshua 5 and 6, and he appeared as a military commander. And I, I'm not sure that even though there had been, you know, incidences of God fighting, uh, there was ever this kind of revelation that Joshua had. Uh, this appearance of the Lord, uh, he said, I, I am the, the general of the army. I, I am the military commander. And Joshua understood from that there's something very spiritual going on. This, this is not just about us people. Uh, th this goes beyond us because there, there is an army in heaven and there is another opposing army in the world of the spirit. And, and the Lord said, I am a military commander. And then he gives Joshua this prophetic word. He said, see... I have given into your hand the city of Jericho. Now this was before Joshua had ever set foot around Jericho. And God spoke to him prophetically. That was a, a prophetic word. And when we study the prophetic over our lives, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he said, Timothy, according 
to the prophecies that went on before you. That by these prophecies, you might war a good warfare. Now this says the prophetic goes before us. And this is why we don't know where we're going. God is doing something very prophetic. And God gives Joshua this revelation of Jericho. It was a very wise military move because when he took Jericho, he divided the country in half. Jericho was right in the middle, and all Joshua had to do was the mop up north and south, and the land was his. And, and God said, I've already given you Jericho. And Joshua was going to war according to that prophecy. God pointing him very prophetically to what he needed from him. God giving him specific instructions about how to do it. Now in that verse to Timothy, it said these prophecies go on before you. This means go on before you means God points to you. Uh, the prophetic is very personal. There's not a, a man or a woman in the room that in this hour, God is not pointing to you prophetically. And God is, is revealing to you how you fit into this grand scheme, plan, redemptive uh, purpose of God, and it is a prophetic thing. Uh, God is taking us away we've never gone, but... The prophetic goes before us. So that the, the prophetic words, Tom has a prophetic word about Europe. And what God is saying to him is not that he has to win the battles there. God has already given him Europe. He's just got to follow the Holy Spirit. The prophecy goes before him. The prophecy wars before him. He just has to be in tune and in touch with the Holy Spirit. And, and God, you know, just gave Joshua what was absolutely silly instructions. Absolutely silly. Don't say anything, just march. And keep marching as many times as I tell you to, and on the last day, blow trumpets and shout. And, and the Bible said there were these strongholds, these walls of Jericho that fell down. Now what this says to me is that when we begin to step out into our prophetic purpose, when we begin to rise up and say, I want to be a prophetic person in this generation, I want to find uh, this place that God has taken me, I don't know where it is and I don't know what God wants, but I want to go there that God gives us what I call breakthrough events. Walls that fall down. Doors that supernaturally open. And the Lord doing wonders for us. Uh, I know in my own heart, uh, I have a real burden for women in the United States of America. I, I was a young mother when the feminist movement arose, and I saw what feminism ha has done to women in the United States of America. I saw how, how women today have no, no earthly concept of what it means to be a wife, uh, of what God means when he talks about a wife submitting 
to her husband. And I have a heart for that. And that is a prophetic thing that God has put within my heart. But in order for me to fulfill it, I have to have God give me a breakthrough event. Do you follow what I'm saying? A door, a way, a plan, a purpose, breakthrough events. Now, when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit, after I was uh, freed at that church from uh, all of the religious devils that, you know, had probably tried to keep me bound, God began to speak to me about how he was going to use me, and God gave me breakthrough events, things that I can take no credit for, things that I, I cannot say I, I did it, I was going away, I'd never gone before, and, and all I did was follow the great Holy Spirit. So I was a 30-year-old woman, 32 at this time, praying in Gadsden, Alabama, where I lived. My husband was still a CPA at that point, not a pastor. I, I was a mother, and I was saying to God, I want to go back to college and work on that doctor's degree. And I want you to show me how to do that with these two sons of mine at home. And I wanted to go to college so that I could be home when they arrived home from school. The Lord spoke to me that I had not been called to do that, that I had been called to be a Bible teacher, and which was an entirely new revelation to me. I was a Sunday school teacher, but I had never just opened the Bible and did what I'm doing here tonight. And the Lord said to me, the home you live in has been given to you by me. It had been. Uh, Gene was a CPA. One of his clients came to us and said, I'm building this house, and I think I'm building it for you and your wife, and if you want to buy it, I'll give you a good deal. And he did, and we did. It was in the middle of this town where we lived, and God said, I put you here because I want you to teach a Bible class in your home. And he said, I, I'm going to send women to this home, and you're going to teach them about me. And they're going to be born again, spirit-filled, healed, and delivered. And, you know, I said, okay. What can you do? I said, okay. And the Lord said to me, you cannot invite the women because you don't know who to invite. I will send them to you. So two days before I was to teach that Bible study, began teaching it, I was in prayer about it. I was really sweating bullets, not over the message, but how can you have a Bible study when you can't invite people? That was a biggie to me. That was my wall of Jericho. And I was saying to God, God, I'm going to look like a fool. You can't do things without issuing invitations. And the phone rings in the middle of this conversation with God, and I answer it. And a friend of mine says, by the way, what are you doing on Thursday? I said, well, I'm teaching a Bible study in my home. She said, I didn't know you did that. I said, well, I do. I didn't fill in the blanks. I just said, well, I do. She said, do you think you've got room for me to come? I said, I can fit you in. You come right ahead. And she came and brought 10 women. And there was the, 
beginning of the Bible says. A breakthrough event. The Lord doing prophetic wonders to, to make a way for this little woman in northeast Alabama to become prophetic, even when I didn't even know what the name meant. So I taught that Bible study for nine years. One time I counted up over 1,000 women came through my home. On any given week, I had 43 folding chairs. Eventually, we added a room onto the house to seat people, but I could seat 70-something women in my home in different rooms with the chairs and the furniture, and God filled the chairs week after week after week because God says, I'll do wonders. I'll do wonders for you. I've given it to you, and I'll give you breakthrough events to get there. So the year was 1975. I was teaching this Bible study. Our, our associate pastor, very prophetic man, on a Sunday night uh, pointed me out in the congregation. And he said, uh, Sister June, come up here. And I went up and stood before Brother Frank Mack. And Brother Mack said, uh, Sister June, he said, uh, the Lord has found you faithful. He said, you've done what the Lord has asked you to do. And he said, now the Lord is going to send you out. And he said, the Lord is going to take you from coast to coast, from border to border in this country. And he said, the Lord is even going to send you over the waters to other countries. And he said, Sister June, you'll stand up in places and you'll be behind podiums and you'll look out at the faces of people you do not know. And you will say to me, how did I come to be here? People looking at you will say, who is she? And he said, you will wonder how you came to that place, and it is because I brought you to that place. I put you in that place. And he said, there will be a phone call that will come to you, and people will say to you, you do not know me, and I do not know you, and they will invite you to come. And he said, you will be sent by me on my work, and my agenda. Well, to say the least, your hair stands up, you get goosebumps, you weep, you cry. You know, we love those kinds of words. And I go back to my, my pew. Next week, I'm in northeast Alabama. Lost in northeast Alabama. The Georgia people where I live now say the only good thing to come out of Alabama is Interstate 20. And I say, no, it's not. I came out of Alabama. You know, Alabama's just not highly esteemed. And I'm just stuck up there in northeast Alabama. A woman from Atlanta, Georgia, phones me. I answer the phone. She said, uh, you don't know me, and I don't know you. But she said, someone says you talk for God. And I said, well, I do. And she invited me to Atlanta to do a conference. And my traveling ministry began with that conference. Breakthrough. Just, just God. Just doing all kinds of wonders. God positions us prophetically. I want you to understand, people, we are in a way we've never gone before. 
but there's not a throwaway in the room. Anyone who wants to connect with the Holy Spirit tonight, regardless of how old or young you are, God's got a prophetic call for you. God's got breakthrough events for you. It ain't over till it's over, and it ain't over yet, as long as your heart beats. Breakthrough, breakthrough events. God doing what only God can do. So we're, we're just, we just see God working these things out prophetically. I'm where I am today because God opened a door. God put us in, in the Atlanta, Georgia area very prophetic place. I think I may have told this story last year, but it's a good story worth telling again. We were in a church of about a thousand people, and at the end of the service, my husband and I had spoken, and uh, the pastor said, we always pray for our speakers before they leave us, and he invited his 20 elders to come up and circle us, and they laid hands on us and began to pray for us. There was one elder that did not get in the circle, and Jean and I are standing in the middle of the circle like this. They're praying, and every time I looked up, this elder's pacing back and forth like this, staring at me, you know, and, and it kind of made me uncomfortable. I thought, well, why is he looking at me, you know, just pacing back and forth, staring at me. So when they finished praying, he walks up to me, and he said, Sister June, the Lord said to tell you, and then he screamed at the top of his voice, Boise, Idaho! Boise, Idaho! The Lord says, Boise, Idaho! Just screaming it out. And I'm standing there trying to look spiritual. <laughs> and I'm thinking, where is Boise, Idaho? I'm from Alabama and Georgia. I don't even know where it is. And that's all he ever said. Just screamed to Boise, Idaho. So we go to lunch with the pastor. The pastor apologized for him. Sometimes pastors <laughs> have to apologize for a stupid sheep. And he said, June, don't let him bother you. He said, sometimes he gets way out there. I said, he didn't bother me. I'm good. And he said, the pastor said, forget it. Well, I would have, but Gene wouldn't let me. So my husband and I would be riding down the highway, and Gene would say, June, I just hear God saying, Boise, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. I say, will you just shut up with Boise, Idaho? I don't want to hear Boise, Idaho. By this time, Gene's pastor, and he'd say, June, I just got through praying at the church, and God said, Boise, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. It's on my birthday cards, Boise, Idaho. And, you know, it just became a husband-wife thing. We'd just laugh about it, and that was the end of that. And, Eventually, it just went the way of all those husband-wife jokes. So it's probably 15, 20 years later, we're at home. Phone rings late one night. There's a woman on the other end. Gene answered it. He came to me and said, Gene, there's some woman on the phone who wants to speak with you. And I said, well, who is she? Who is it? She's late calling. You know, it's late, and I didn't want to get into counseling or anything. And he said, I don't know. She wants to talk to you. And I said, well, what does she want? And he said, I don't know. She wants to talk to you. And I said, well, did you find out where she's from? And he said, yes, her name's Ann from Boise, Idaho. <laughs> and when he said that, you know, chill bumps, my hair stood up. 
And my eyes got big, and Gene said, what's wrong? And then I shouted, Boise, Idaho! <laughs> and then he remembered. So this woman, now listen to this. I don't know how she got my name. God connected me with this woman. And then I'm on an airplane flying to Boise, Idaho, going out there to speak. I went out there and spoke twice. And I'm on that airplane, and I'm praying privately to God. And I said, God, I don't, I don't get this. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, that crazy elder screamed out Boise, Idaho, and meant nothing to me. And now this Ann from Boise, Idaho, invited me to come out there and speak. And I said, this just doesn't make a bit of sense to me. And the Lord spoke to me, and it stayed with me all these years. He said, June, I want you to understand that I, I don't have to speak long, involved prophecies over you. All I have to do is speak a word, and you may forget the word. You may not understand the word. You may not know the way the word's going to work, but what you forget and don't understand, I never forget, and I'm able to connect the dots of your life and put you where you need to be at any given time. The prophetic. God doing wonders among us. And this is where we are as God's church, uh, as God's people. We've got to understand it's a very prophetic time. And dear people, it's going to take more than religion. It's going to take a prophetic people. Uh, somebody's got to be sent to a people who are lost and dying. Somebody's got to uh, speaking to the transgender community. Somebody's got to talk to uh, our lesbian women who hate men and don't understand their, their calling as women. Somebody's got to go there prophetically. We are at a time when we cannot come to church camps and sing kumbaya to each other. That's what they did in my generation with youth. We went to Lake Junaluska, sat across the lake, and we'd sing kumbaya to each other, and we'd go home and do real well. Kids can't do that anymore. Our little 13-year-olds are involved in sexual relationships, having babies at young age, multitudes of even Christian people uh, living in all sorts of immorality. Very prophetic times. And it calls for a very prophetic people who will, who will fall in behind the powerful Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit take us where we have never gone before. I don't know what's ahead, but I do know this. I know how to follow the Holy Spirit. And I've gone where I've never gone before, and I'm willing to go there again. How many would raise your hands? I'm willing to go there again. Absolutely willing to, to go there again. Now, we have to have the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the only one that knows the route. Uh, we, we, cannot, we cannot just go on yesterday's Holy Spirit. I, I cannot live on what happened to me last year with the Holy Spirit. In, in this prophetic season, uh, God said to the children of Israel, 
uh, you're going to have to focus on this Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant is going to take you there. And, and when the Ark of the Covenant moves, then you're to go. And, and you're going to have to be real, really focused on this Ark of the Covenant. And that represents to us this powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. The last thing that is said about the Holy Spirit in the Revelation is that he is talking to the church seven times in chapters 2 and 3. And it is said, uh, if anybody's in there has ears to hear, you need to listen to him. Saying to me that at the end, uh, there may be church people that aren't really in tune with this Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit is, is the one who's got to drive the program. Uh, we have to have, not, not the baptism I had in 1969, as wonderful as that is, but I need a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit. I need to go into a new place with speaking in tongues. I need to quit living in my head and learn to live out of my spirit. For out of my spirit will flow all of the issues of, of life. This, this dynamic Holy Spirit. There is a parable, and it's not my purpose to exegete that according to Bible scholars, but it's about five virgins who are waiting for uh, a bridegroom to come. And uh, the problem with the virgins is that five of them had no oil. And so they go to the five uh, virgins that had the oil, and they said, we'd like to have some of your oil. And the five who had the oil said, we can't give you our oil. You're going to have to go buy your own oil. And, and this says to me, at the end of the age, the problem with God's people is going to be the oil. It's not going to be the appearance of the buildings what kind of coffee we have in the, the foyer or what kind of, you know, little programs that we run, although those things are needful and good. I'm not opposed to any of that. But the real issue is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And, and there is, even within church world, there is this very satanic thing to negate the Holy Spirit. And to take the Holy Spirit out of the movings uh, of the normal church services, the normal church world. To just sort of put the Holy Spirit over here and to allow the agenda of programs and uh, this and that and the other to reach people. But Paul wrote about this in Corinthians and he said to the Corinthian church, Dear people, when someone comes into your your gatherings, and they're an unbeliever. There has to be the voice of God in the midst of that, revealing the secrets of men's hearts so that when the service is over, people will say, God was here. God was here. may not be very comfortable to us, but we need this presence of God among his people. One Sunday, and at this point, we were a small church, Maybe at this point we've run about 100, 125. Everybody knew everybody. And at the end of the service, Gene, my husband, said, well, 
The Lord said, there's somebody here that's going to leave this service and commit suicide. Uh, you've already got it planned. You're going to uh, leave this service, and you're going to go get in your automobile, and you're going to kill yourself. And God said to tell you that's a very bad idea. God said to tell you that things are going to work out, and you need to not do this, kill yourself. You need to wait because God's going to work. Well, I'm listening to that, and I think, this is silly. I know everybody here. I know what they ate for dinner last night. You know how you're in small church and you just know everybody? I thought, there's nobody here going to commit suicide. Yes, there was. It was our praise leader. He had a loaded pistol in his car and was going to go into his automobile and drive to a state park and shoot himself in the head. God is in the place. God is in the place. We need God in this place. We don't need just a good song, a good cookie, a, a good, uh, you know, little message. We need God in this place so that when we leave, we know God's been in us of a truth. So, so here's the way I'm closing tonight. Uh, there are many of you here that God's going to give you breakthrough events. How many of you find yourself with some walls and you need God to break you through into something new? They, all of us here, there's going to be a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit upon us tonight. Would you like fresh oil? Would you like your oil to be fresh? God said to those virgins, you've got to go buy your own oil. And, and you have to get your own oil. And there's going to be an infusion of the Holy Spirit tonight. Because I believe this is a very prophetic gathering. I believe as Tom Jackson goes into Europe, he's going to go away. He doesn't know how to go. He told us today how hard it is to be in Europe, to be among a people who don't even have a context of God. But I know this, Brother Tom, uh, there's something prophetic over you. Uh, there's something prophetic over the cities God will take you to. Uh, your battle uh, will be in the prophetic. Uh, God will speak to you like he did to Joshua. And he said to Joshua, See, I've given you Jericho. And these cities that are in your heart, God says to you, See, I've given you. I've given you Scotland. I've given you Spain. I've given you these cities. And it's going to be a very prophetic thing. There shall be a shifting of the gears. There shall be an addition of, of people into your life who are very prophetic. People who have an eye to see beyond what they see. An ear to hear beyond what they, they hear. And we thank you, Father, for giving him these cities, for giving him these nations, for, for surrounding him with those who will help him get there. We thank you for the prophetic call over CBU, the prophetic call that, that is going forth. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. And Sister Mary, uh, tonight, there's something being birthed in you. There, there's, uh, every time I, I looked at you sitting here, 
It's like something old was taken out of you. It was like I could see the hand of God just going way down in you. I know nothing about you. And just pulling out old roots. Just pulling out things that, you know, how we can hold on to those things and they get down in there. And God said to tell you that you're just to uh, tear up all the pages of the past, that there's a new page with your name written.